How many times do you think you dropped me on my head when I was a baby? Definitely once. Definitely once? Yeah. I figured it was way more than that. No, maybe your dad might I'm sure somebody did. I started crying when she was dancing on stage. It was it was hilarious. It couldn't stop. You know, if anybody knows me, I'm not very handy. I've changed several hundred light bulbs in my life, I would say. Sometimes when I get really nervous, I just say weird stuff. I'm sorry. And now, a man whose liver was recently voted the most likely to succeed, the host of You Know Jack, Kevin Jaklovic. All right, I'm here with my good buddy Chris. Chris, how you doing today, man? Doing good. How are you? I'm all right. Glad we're doing this, man. Yeah. yeah. You nervous? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of <laughs> I'm nervous cuz I haven't done one of these in uh probably about 3 months, so I'm a little hopefully I'm not too rusty. Um but I appreciate you being willing to come on and uh share your story with us today. Yeah, no problem. Uh so first I'd like to start by just kind of introducing yourself who you are where you live what what's your uh family like so if you don't mind introduce yourself a little bit yeah sure um so my name's chris um 37 i live in the big town of bunker hill illinois okay so i've got uh live there with my my wife rachel and we have two kids i have 11 year old daughter olivia and a seven-year-old son cj um Let's see what else you want to know about me. No, that's I think that's a good start. <laughs> okay. We can kind of take it from there. So, you know, Chris, we've known each other for almost four years, I think, right right about four years now. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, you know, I think I met you right around four years ago at church. We met through church and we've we've uh, been buddies since then and done some camping together, done some fun stuff together, and uh we see each other weekly usually, yeah. every every week or two. And, um, you know, you're somebody that always seems like he's in a good spirit, a good mood. Uh, you're always very nice to people. You always got a big smile on your face. Uh, and then over the years, I know we've kind of talked about some stuff here and there. And, uh, you know, most recently, I know we, we spent some time together and you just kind of told me you had some stuff going on earlier this year. And, and uh, now we're here talking about it because you want to share that to try to help other people and... Uh, so I'm more than happy to do that with you. Um, but before we get into that, can you kind of take us through your, your life? Where are you from? Are you from Bunker Hill? No, no. My, my wife's from Bunker Hill. That's how I ended up there. But okay. um, no, I grew up all over Missouri, um, down south of St. Louis, lived at uh, Lake of the Ozarks for a while, um, finished high school in Rolla, Missouri, um, and I actually moved to Illinois to go to flight school to pursue my dream of becoming a pilot. So... Uh, that's how I ended up in Illinois, and I met my wife in Bethalto, and uh, she's from Bunker Hill, so we ended up finding a place out there close to her parents, and that's settling, how I ended up in Bunker Hill. Settling in Bunker Hill. Yep. Yeah, you don't end up in Bunker Hill on accident. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great spot, though. You guys have an awesome, awesome setup out there. Yeah. Um, so growing up in southern Missouri, right, for yeah. most of your life, south south. South Central, Central yep. Missouri. Um, what was your family like growing up? Um, so I have two brothers. Um, they're much older than me. My my next uh, closest brother is ten years older than me, and then the other one's I think another four years older than him. So there's oh, quite okay. a bit, yeah quite a bit of an age difference. So 
from the time I was eight, I basically became an only child. You right, know, right. My brother went in the military and left home at 18. So from eight on, I was pretty much an only child. Uh, my parents got divorced when I, I think I was uh, 12 when they officially got divorced. Okay. Uh, I think they were split about when I was 10. Um, so, but after their divorce, my mom moved to Texas and I ended up staying with my dad. So, okay. So you stayed in Missouri with him yeah. until, and then you went through high school at Rolla in Rolla. Yep. Okay. So then how, when you were a kid, how did, uh, their divorce and stuff affect you? You know, it's, it's, you know, as a kid, I, I, I don't remember exactly how it affected me, but, but the way I think I remember, you know, I had a really good, um, friend of the family, that really helped me out a lot. He was, um, he kind of was really good at uh, offering me some distraction. He loved to hunt and fish, so yeah. he would take me like every weekend hunting or fishing. You know, kind of get me out of the house, and um, I think that really helped a lot. You know, I think looking back on it, I I didn't realize at the time how much how important that was, but it ended up being a big help in that season of my life. Sure. You sure. Know, having, I can imagine. So having that outlet. Yeah. So growing up, did you play sports and do all the normal stuff kids do? Or were you um, more an outdoorsy kid? I was more of an outdoorsy kid. I played a little bit of little league baseball, a little bit of little league hockey. Um, but you know, once I, you know, got a little older, I just really started doing more outdoor stuff, hunting and fishing. So, right. Cool. Well, that's what you do in South Central Missouri. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of a lot of good out, outdoor activity. Um, so then, what was it like being, you know, going from having some older siblings around when you were younger? I'm sure you looked up to them quite a bit, and then they were just gone. Was that was that pretty tough? Yeah, and, yeah. Especially, you know, I, my oldest oldest brother. You know, I don't really recall him much of when he lived with us you know i was pretty little yeah you know, still pretty whenever he moved out because he went in the military also so i was probably you know four or five you know when he moved out so but yeah my my uh my next oldest brother or the one closest in age to me yeah that was that was that was really hard on me because i was really close to him um you know growing up so Sure. Yep. And how how far away? So they went into the service and were yeah. gone, gone. Yeah. So so they were really you were really alone then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I you know suddenly, like I said, you know, you you live with uh, siblings and then you become an only child. It's kind of right. <laughs> it was a little bit of a shock to the system. A little. Yeah. Imagine. I can't. I can't imagine. You know, my sister's about twenty months older than me, and my brother's only you know a year and a half younger than me. So we were all pretty tight. And, you know, we hated each other at times, but we, we always had, there was always people around and it would be weird to just, you know, be by yourself, especially yeah. after having a busy household at some point. Yeah. It was an adjustment period of trying to learn how to, you know, entertain myself without right. someone there to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then how about your, uh, your parents or your parents, were your parents a little older then than most other kids your age? Yeah. Yeah. A little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So were they, um, when they, when things started to, when they separated, was there, um, you know, before your mom moved away, was there a time where they both lived in the same town and you kind of shared time with each of them? Or was it pretty much a clean break that you stayed with your dad and your mom moved, moved out of town? Yeah, it was kind of a clean break. Um, you know, my, my mom took a job in, in Texas 
and so you know that was kind of the i think she she took the job and that was you know they they separated and she was like i need a new job so she found one and her parents lived in texas i think she decided okay. to move a little bit closer to her family and um i you know it wasn't um it wasn't really a preference over mom or dad it was more of i don't want to leave my home <laughs> right did, right i didn't want to move to a new state and so i stayed yeah did you spend much time in texas though when you were a kid did you go down there yeah about once, once a month okay uh, once a month either she would come up and see me or i would go down there so as a young kid i was i was flying down there all the time and i think that's probably where i caught the bug of uh yeah you know the aviation bug just i enjoyed being around the airports and that was cool being yeah plane, that's so. awesome so so you're a kid you're kind of on your own, bouncing back and forth. You had to grow up fast, it sounds <laughs> yeah. like, traveling traveling yeah. across the country. Yeah, 16 years old, driving myself from Rolla to the airport in St. Louis, you know, Lambert, parking, taking the shuttles, you know, 16 by myself. Wow. <laughs> and I feel like yeah. that's one, you know, like I, I certainly didn't grow up fast like that, but I have other areas in my life where I feel like I kind of was a little bit ahead of schedule. And I thought, I think you can look at that two ways. You can look at that as like, I learned a lot from that. It made me responsible. I, I had to navigate these kind of, you know, situations that most kids my age weren't. But then I think a lot of that is, did I, was I rushed into that? And was I prepared for that? And did yeah. that affect me going forward in my life? You know, did I, did I miss out on some innocence or some, some adolescence that I should, you know, should have experienced, you know? Yeah. So I... I, I kind of just, that's just my view of that. I, when you say that, like, you know, the thought of a 16-year-old kid just packing up, driving three <laughs> hours to the airport, hopping on a plane, navigating, you know, that's, kids these days, they couldn't figure that out easily. Yeah, I wouldn't let my kids do it. That's right, <laughs> right. But this was in the late 90s. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's a little different time. Yeah. But uh, so then, you know, after after you graduate Rolla, you knew you wanted to be a pilot then? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I knew I wanted, I was something I was interested in, but I, you know, took a little detour first, followed a high school sweetheart down to Cape Girardeau. Okay. And uh, so I was in construction. I uh, worked construction all through high school. My dad had a construction company. So after school and all summer, I was working construction and I got into masonry doing bricklaying. Okay. And so um, after high school, I moved down to Cape Girardeau and was a bricklayer. Um, that fizzled out pretty quickly we kind of just grew apart you know I sure think, you know your high school sweetheart you got two choices you're either going to grow together because you're growing yeah you're either going to yeah. grow together or you're going to grow apart and so unfortunately more fortunately however you want to look at it we grew apart right um and so uh i ended up moving back to rolla for a little bit kind of hit the reset button and then i'm and then i got into uh the flight school um up, aviation and, and that was up here yeah that gotcha. was a, yeah so, and then you moved up here to Bethalto. Mm-hmm, correct. And what year was that? That was in 2005. Man, it's so crazy, and I know we talked about this before, but I moved here in 05 from Kansas City, and I lived in downtown St. Louis for about six months, and then I moved to Bethalto. So we were literally yeah. new boys in town at the same <laughs> time, probably running across each other and didn't even know it. It's a small world how that happens. So you're are you in flight school over at the Bethalto Airport there? Right. Yeah. So explain what flight school is like. So the flight school that I went to it was um, it was 
a pretty structured curriculum. It wasn't like, uh, I mean, there's a couple different ways to go about it. You can go to your local airport and you find a flight instructor who will give you lessons. This was an actual like school where they had many instructors and a curriculum and I uh, did a lot of the stuff. I went home and did a lot of the stuff on, um, you know, the, the videos at home and then come back and we would talk about that lesson with the instructor and then we'd go fly that lesson, you know, whatever, gotcha. the, whatever we were, whatever we were working on that day, I'd watch the video, then we'd talk about it and then we'd go do it. And we'd come back and we'd talk about some more about it. So I was flying, um, you know, weather dependent, um, trying to fly just about every day of the week. Um, you know, at least five days a week, some, you know, depending on if the weather wasn't good, it was a little less, uh, sometimes twice a day if I wanted to make up some time. So it was intense. Um, so I got through, I, I basically got through all of the flight training in 18 months. So from coming in there with no flight time at all, no experience, never flying an airplane to basically being ready to go at that time, going into the airline, uh, in 18 months. Wow. And is, so is that, is there a set time, a minimum amount of time that that has to take? Uh, well it's, it's by flight hours. So like at that time, I mean, you could get on with an airline at 250 hours with a commercial pilot's license, but things have changed now. Now you have to, today I wouldn't have been able to do that. I would have had to wait till I got like 1500 hours. So it went up a bunch. Yeah. That's a big difference. Yeah. Timing was really good on that because, um, I got in before that, uh, regulation change that required more time. So you go through flight school, you're in Bethalto, that's when you meet your wife, mm-hmm. um, and how is your life at that point? Life's going good, you're having fun, you're young, a young guy? Yeah, it was like, um, you know, for the first time in my life, I was kind of um, on my own and single and starting a new adventure, and then like a week after I started that adventure, I met my wife. <laughs> So <laughs> where'd you guys meet? So I lived in an apartment building in town and, um, she knew some people that lived upstairs from me, uh, that I would talk to every once in a while. And, uh, we all went out one night and the rest is history. Yep. So yeah, she didn't want anything to do with me at first. <laughs> you wore her down a little bit? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. 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 So, um, so you guys meet, you start hanging out, your, your relationship develops, you get your, your flight school done. What's your first job as a pilot? Uh, I worked for a small regional airline, flying 50 seat jets out of, um, Lambert out of St. Louis. Okay. Um, so that, uh, that lasted for about, I don't know, I think nine months and then they started laying off. So that was my introduction to the airline industry. They, what they say is they, they hire till they furlough and they furlough until they hire. So it's a, it's a constant cycle. But, um, but luckily I was able to jump over to another airline owned by the same holdings company. Um, and they were actually hiring still based in St. Louis. So I was able to jump over and, um, um, to a new company. That was, was really fortunate. I was only off for about a month. Actually, we got married in that month. So (laughs) in between jobs. And so was your, when you wanted to become a pilot, was your dream to fly commercially or did you, okay. So you, you liked that idea of, you know, flying around the country or world, whatever it may end up being. You love that idea. Yeah. I wanted to fly and I knew I couldn't afford to do it for a hobby. So I was like, well, I'm going to have to make it a career, which was 
cool too because that's what i you know i loved being around the airports and the seeing new places yeah and yeah just kind of that whole environment so that's yeah that was my that was my dream right i just take us through what it was like your first commercial flight oh man it i was, mean i know you're not the the captain right so you're the co-pilot and I'm sure there's a lot of training that's still on the job there. Right? Oh, yeah. You're learning from the captain and the, the plane you're flying. And, I mean, I just I f- used to fly a lot for work. And when I look in the in the cockpit there, there's just so many damn levers and, and yeah. switches, you know. I, it overwhelms me thinking about it. So what? take us through, like, what's that like? You, you know, you're getting there and you're trying to put all your training to, to into action. But you've probably been flying a little Cessna or smaller right. plane around, you know, Bethalto. So what's that like? Well, so it, it was the first real flight. It was it was it was pretty surreal, a little overwhelming, um, pretty exciting too. You know, it's like wow, this is it. You know, this is this is what I've been hoping for. Um, but you go through a lot of training first. There's a lot of simulator training. Um, gotcha. And you've got to pass a lot of you know gates, you know, training and checking gates to get to there. So it's a, it's a, it's a pretty long journey, you know, to get, you know, you go through the training and then you go through, you know, multiple checking gates and training and more checking. And then finally you're, you're out there and they, it's called operating experience or initial operating experience where you're actually flying passengers now that you've, you know, done all the stuff you need to do in the simulator but that first flight isn't anything. It it's so totally different from the simulator. You know, it's real. Oh it's, yeah, you know, sure. It's, uh, it, you know, it's uh, it's a little intimidating. You I'm know? sure you got people's lives <laughs> yeah. in your hands. Yeah, this is the real deal, and it's yeah. you know you you feel like you're you know kind of controlling this big beast, right? <laughs> and it's and it's faster than you are. So yeah, and you're still. I mean, at that time, how old were you? Oh man, um, I was like, uh, well, uh, 22. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. 22 so you, years old. So you're that guy that when I walk on a plane and see that <laughs> young, fresh faced kid, I'm like, oh man, yeah. this guy, this guy's in charge. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. wild. I couldn't imagine. Uh, I mean, I would, I, is it, is flying easier than you would think, or is it harder than you would think? Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say whether it's, I mean, it's probably a little easier. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to explain that because. Okay. So let me rephrase that. If, uh, if someone's in a plane and something happens to the, the pilot, Mm -hmm. what are the chances of, you know, a handful of somebody being able to step in and land that plane safely? Not Uh, a commercial liner, maybe like a, a smaller plane. Uh, which one's harder? Which one's easier? Oh man, um, I you know it depends. The thing about the bigger airplanes, if they can figure out the automation, they could probably they could probably do it. If somebody could talk them through how to how to how to click on the autopilot and right. auto land it, the bigger the airplane, the more a lot of times more sophisticated the the technology is for automation. But you know, a small airplane getting it down without the automation, I mean, it's uh, they could probably get it on the ground and. Probably more good chance they could probably walk away from it and not going to be very pretty though. May not be very pretty. So it's like yeah. uh, it's like backing up a trailer. A big huge trailer is easy <laughs> to back up, but a little tiny one, those things are a little squirrely. 
Yeah, it, yeah, it uh, it's hard to explain. I mean, how? I mean, it. You know, um, it definitely. Once you get used to it, it's not bad. But I mean, it's like it's like eventually that becomes second nature, like driving a car. Your yeah, your muscle memory is doing things, and you're thinking about what's going on around you, and not actually the manipulation of the controls. You know, you're not thinking right. about pushing the gas, pushing the brakes. You know, you're you're looking outside. You know, doing the the actual physical manipulation of the controls or the the you know, the machine itself is secondary to right. the the other things that go into it. So yeah, because I can imagine. You know, obviously, I've never flown anything, but I've driven a lot of boats. I've done things like that. Even when you're just out having fun on a boat, there's sometimes stressful situations, mm-hmm. right, where you yeah. get tensed up. I couldn't imagine landing at LaGuardia over the <laughs> coming in over the water and then you know it's a windy day and you know when I'm on a plane and we're landing like that I'm I'm puckered up you know I'm I'm tensed up yeah. I can't imagine being the pilot and having to keep that steady that whole time so were there ever situations in your flying time where where you had a, you know really stressful weather condition or you know any sort of issue yeah, I mean, I think um, the more experienced I got, the the fewer of those there were. But right. I remember, you know, being you know pretty new pilot and landing at uh, I don't remember it was Omaha or somewhere I can't remember, um, and you know the visibility and the the clouds was down what we call minimums, which was you know the minimum. That's that's the lowest visibility you can go down to, and it was like a quarter mile or half mile. Sorry, and um, we landed. We ended up getting down, you know, seeing the lights and landed and then got off the runway and, you know, the tower couldn't see us. It was so foggy. Wow. And he's like, uh, let me know where you got off the runway. You know, and we're looking at the sign and we can see the sign glowing, but we can't read the letters. It's it's like, well, give us just a second. We got <laughs> got to get a little closer to the sign Jeez. so we can make out what the letter is. So you come, when you're coming in blind like that, you just, you're hoping that they set you on the right path? Well, you have instruments that are keeping you basically yeah. on a on a glide path and on a center line of the runway, and then that last and then the lighting. Yeah, last yeah. two hundred feet, you break out, and so you've got basically two hundred feet transition over to visual and, and set it down. Yeah, man, that's wild. What's the biggest plane you ever flew? Uh, it was a the last one. It was a seventy passenger regional okay. jet. Yeah. So those are like uh, how many? Th- two. Three rows, two and two. Yeah. Okay, so four four yeah. seats across. Yep, gotcha. That's crazy, man. So it sounds like for, through this time frame in your life, you start working. You you know you do well as a pilot. You kind of work your way up, and you work with a few different airlines. Um, Rachel's a nurse, so I'm sure yep. at that time, you know, she's getting her career started. And then um, you guys have two kids, and your your daughter is how old's how old's your daughter? Twelve, thirteen, uh, eleven, eleven. Okay, mm-hmm. so so pretty soon you're you're having kids. You know, you're getting all those responsibilities thrown on you um, at the same time as your careers and and uh, you know your marriage and everything. Um, you know, we're, we're here today because you know we're it's it's mental health awareness month in may um you've struggled with some depression we haven't talked about that yet but i just wanted to kind of lay the foundation of your your life so far you've had a successful life yep. you, you've done a lot of different things you're you know you're somebody that's a happy go lucky guy you you meet people easily you're friendly people like you 
Um, with that being said, can you look back and see that, you know, I realize I was really struggling at times, even back to when you're eight years old or younger, you know, because I, you know, you and I have talked about this and obviously with my, um, you know, issues with addiction substances, I can look back and, you know, during times in my childhood where I was depressed or anxious a lot and, you know, they weren't necessarily triggered by outside things like, you know, something like you with your parents getting divorced. Mine weren't triggered by that. Mine were triggered more by insecurities or just things I had going on personally. Um, but I didn't know that until probably four years ago when I mm-hmm. kind of went through my hard time and I had to really look at some things and figure, identify like what, what that might've really been when I was feeling that way when I was younger. So kind of take us through when you, you noticed that you might've struggled with depression a little bit. So, you know, um, I think it wasn't really until a few years into my marriage or that I really started to really acknowledge that maybe, maybe there's something going on. Yeah. Um, but like you said, you know, it was probably still only about five years ago that I really fully accepted that there is an issue. And then I started, you know, during that process of, of learning more about it and, and relating the way I was feeling now compared to, I, I mean, I can remember times when I was a kid right. feeling the same way. Exactly. Didn't understand it when I was that young. I didn't know even older. I didn't really understand that that's what it was. I just thought this is just a, something I'm dealing with or whatever. But, but looking back, I can see this, you know, in hindsight, see the, um, you know, different seasons that I went through and the way that I felt during those seasons, it wasn't probably what I would consider a normal way to handle those situations and things like that. So I was like, Hmm, I've been dealing with this probably my whole life. Sure. Just not realizing it. So what does it look like for you? I guess it may have changed over the years, but back when you were your first memory of maybe where you kind of tied that together, Mm -hmm. What do you remember about the way you acted then? Were you just kind of somber, quiet as a kid, something like that? Or were you kind of acting out when you had those? Yeah, I remember just being like not understanding. I was really upset, you know, crying, you know, um, not really understanding. I couldn't point to why. Yeah. That was the real thing. Like looking back on it, that's sort of the way it is now is like with the depression, you'll get in these moods of like sadness or, you know, just wanting to kind of, um, be alone and isolate, but for, and it it appears to come out of nowhere for no reason. Um, and you, and you, you just one minute you're okay. And then I had a lot of anxiety as a kid too. Okay. Um, I didn't like, um, you know, going to friends' houses and stuff. I I was all I was all good until it was about time to go to bed. And then I was just like, okay, this isn't where I sleep. I'm I want to go home. You know, yeah. Like, um, but then you know, I had a lot of a lot of things like that growing up, but I had to work through. Um, but uh, you know, I can remember specific instances. You know, coming home from school, and just remember, like I didn't have a terribly bad day at school. I was just didn't want to ever go back, you know, really depressed, felt hopeless. Like I'm never, I don't, I don't know what I want to do, but I don't want to go back to school. I don't know, being trapped in that kind of, so. Yeah, no, I've certainly, I've experienced that and there's not a, 
you know, the hardest part I think about, you know, any sort of depressive behavior and whether it's short or long, but, and I haven't ever really had anything long in my life. I've had, you know, day, a day or two. Um, and usually that's when I got something heavy going on. And, you know, mm-hmm. these days I've, I don't have it as much cause I've learned how to kind of work through it for, right. for me at least. But, um, I remember being a kid, I would have that half a day where I'm just, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk to anybody. If I did, you know, put down my pride and actually admit that I was upset about something, I didn't want to hear, oh, it'll be okay, you'll come right. around, you'll, fe-, you know, and I think that's the hard part about depression is that people get depressed and there's just nothing you can do for them until they come out of it on their own. You know, it's a lot like addiction and alcoholism. When someone's ready to get help, they'll they'll do what they got to do to get help. You can't force somebody to come out of that hole, you know, whether it's yeah. the depression side or anxiety or whatnot. I mean, if somebody's worked up, they're going to have to work through that and and come out on the other side. So so did you notice that they started la- that depressive behavior would last longer as time went on? Yeah, I think yeah, uh especially you know later in my later in my 20s um you know and and I don't think having having those habits or having that become normal over many years um it was hard for me to see it anymore sure that i was dealing that what i was doing and and my wife was pointing things out that you know she noticed sure like you know um she used to call it the um I, you know i used to be like i'm just gonna go lay in bed pull the covers over my head and put in my earplugs or my ear my headphones you know and just turn the world you know tune the world out yeah and uh she's like yeah that's not you know, it's not a normal way of dealing with whatever it is that you're dealing right. with. Especially <laughs> when your wife's a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and, you know, and I would just get really, um, just, and, and those, those weren't like, there wasn't a situation that I could point to, to say, this is why I'm upset. Right. It was just, it, it would seemingly come out of nowhere. Yeah. Does a lot of it have to do with, or have you, like, I know at times when I've struggled with depression, it's because I am very hard on myself sometimes. Yeah, that's some uh, of it, yeah. And so, like, I know in the past, you know, especially when I was struggling with my substance use issue, I I could go on acting like everything was fine for a certain amount of time, but then I would I would have something happen, or it would just kind of come to me clearly. I would kind of see my actions of the past month or weeks or days, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I would just have this moment of clarity where something would snap and I would be like, oh my gosh, I am a screw up. You know what I mean? Like this is, how did I think that was okay to behave this way or or to think that that was right? And then I would feel kind of like a fool, right? And Mm -hmm. then that would kind of send me into maybe a a half day, a day of (laughs) moping around a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, But... You know, I back then I just used any patch I could get with alcohol and drugs. You know, I would do something to, you know, take my mind off of it. And, you know, maybe the next day I'd snap out of it. But, you know, in sobriety, I haven't struggled very much with depression. I've, I've got some anxiety that I've had to deal with over the past few years. But I do quite a bit of uh, recovery work and I, you know, I, yeah. I work a program and that really that helps me because I, I'm forced to talk about it. And for me, I bottle stuff up until 
you know, and, and until it comes out, I'm not really going to get better. And so nowadays I just don't have the chance to bottle it up because I've got people around me that are asking me questions and I'm telling them what's going on with me. They're telling them what's going on with them. And, uh, that's really been a lifesaver for me with the anxiety thing. So, yeah, that's huge. Um, you know, that's what I was, I was thinking about, you know, with this, um, that was one of my biggest problems of probably, you know, growing up with it. I, I just always was, this was, this was my problem. Keep it a secret. You drive yeah. those feelings. You just drive them deep down. You don't let anybody know. Yeah. You want to be a man. Yeah. Um, you know, people, people don't want to see you sad all the time. So you, you know, you, um, you put on that smiling face and go out and show the world your best side all the while you're kind of going through this sure. kind of on your own because you know you don't want to let anybody know that you're dealing with it so um but it took me you know it wasn't until probably probably even 4 years ago the first time that I really opened up to somebody about it sure and it was like that first time you do that it's like wow feels I'm so good. scared to do that but that was that really did feel good like i'm not carrying this on my own and um you know and then you you start doing you open up a little bit more and a little bit more to, and so yeah and you know um i can relate to that too because once i kind of came out with my problem and was honest with people you know i had been hiding this horrible problem for so long and it was just like you know the elephant, the gorilla, whatever was off my back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, you got to be careful just because it's, that can be very temporary. Right. Right. Um, and that's why I think whether it's mental health or addiction, having a recovery program is very, you know, key to having success because look, you're going to go back to what you've always done. And, yeah. uh, until you can train your brain differently and then you still probably will eventually go back to what you've always done, what's natural for you. And if, if you're not staying up on it, then you're going to, you know, just, you might have that instant relief and you feel great and you have a good couple days, but then life goes on and the people that are around you are busy, they get going in different mm-hmm. directions. And then who are you stuck with yourself again? Right. And yeah. so that's what I think is is really hard, and, and luckily these days I feel like there's a lot more programs out there to to help people uh, deal with mental mental health. Um, so at this same time that you're you know four or five years ago when you're really starting to know you know your wife's talking to you about your behavior, you're you're noticing it. But and I know we've talked about this. It's a big deal to have those kinds of issues and be a pilot. Yeah. Right. It is. So mm-hmm. can you talk us through, you know, how, how that made this even harder to kind of, you know, admit and, and get a plan together for? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, being a pilot, that's always one thing, you know, is just known that, you know, depression is, is a, it, it's a, it's a factor that will disqualify you. Sure. Um, so while I was flying, I mean, I, I don't think I really thought that it was a problem for me. You know, I was still very much in the denial. And I think I was probably doing that because I knew that I could never, I can't acknowledge that. I can't, you know, it's something that I just, that doesn't exist. Sure. I, that can't exist. 
And had you seen people around you deal with that and seen the cons? What happens if you do come out and say that? So basically, I mean, if you, you know, went to the doctor or said, you know, because you got to have a medical certificate, you know, and you say, hey, I think I'm dealing with these issues and I think I might have depression. Well, they're going to pull your medical. You're probably looking at at least a year of of not being able to fly until it depends. And a lot of that depends on, I mean, you're going to go through a lot in that year. You know, you're going to have to probably, you're going to, um, you know, and that's what I was looking at is right. Right. You know, and so that made it really tough. And, and unfortunately that's, that's the way it is. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, because of that, I'm sure there's a lot of un, undiagnosed, you know, depression going on sure. out there and it doesn't make them unsafe or it doesn't make them, but they, they're not getting help. Um, you know, I was never really depressed while I was flying. I was always pretty happy while I was flying. I was distracted. Sure. And that's usually the way it works for me when I'm working, when I'm busy, when things are, you know, happening, it's at the end of the day, it's at the, you know, in my, my idle time that that's whenever my depression kicks in is usually. And, um, so, I mean, it was, it was, you know, but there's such a stigma about it, you know, about, you know, people that have depression or, you you don't you don't know what they're going to do or what they're thinking or and it's really you know for me it was never like that it was never like um you know i i was never felt like i was out of control of of my you know um had my wits about me all the time i wasn't like you know fantasizing about hurting myself or anyone else ever but that was always the stigma if i tell people that that's what they're gonna think or something you know so i was always afraid um to, to bring it up to anybody. You sure. Know, that's why, you know, what are they going to think? What are they going to think? That was always my big thing. And, you know, learning more and more about myself and, and my depression and, you know, now realizing codependency issues is a big part of it. Um, negative thinking habits are a big part of it. Um, but I didn't realize that until I started getting help. And that's really the thing is that, you know, the first I had to acknowledge yeah. that there was a problem. And then second, finally humbling myself enough to start asking for help. Yeah. And, and that was really had to really get outside of my comfort zone to sure. to ask for help. Yeah, yeah, and I mean in uh in a in the addiction world the the humility piece is huge. And uh you know, from a lot of people talk about it just leveling your pride, getting your ego beat down, right? That's what you've got to do. But I think that can kind of be looked at a couple different ways, right? I think there are a lot of people that maybe really are full of themselves and cocky, mm-hmm. and they think they can power through, and until they realize they can't and they need help, you know, they're going to be they're going to be you know having some having some issues. But then I think for and I think you're the same as me. I I never uh, my pride or ego was was always out of insecurity right Mm. it wasn't ever like i felt confident it was like embarrassment yeah and i didn't want to ask for help for those reasons i Mm -hmm. wasn't in deep inside i was like shit i'm in trouble like (laughs) i can't do this on my own anymore but i meant too embarrassed and ashamed to ask for help and so that can kind of come off as being full of yourself or having an ego or pride so i think there's that's you gotta it's really important to kind of define that and i know i was on that other side of it but it doesn't make it any easier right Mm -hmm. i mean that other person that's just maybe a little more you know uh full of themselves they might just crash and burn a little harder and it might take a little more for them to get humbled right and they may 
but they're they're someone that's maybe just not as aware of their um, actions as you or I, because I'm I'm very hyper aware of my surroundings, how my actions affect people sometimes, and then what do I do? I I beat myself up over that, right? If I feel like I did something wrong. I'm hard on myself, which then causes me more problems. Where some people you meet, they can just power through life and they don't ever think about what they've done. And you know, you may call that person a narcissist. I don't know, <laughs> but they can just, it just doesn't phase them. And uh, a lot of those people are highly successful, driven people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like the, the pride thing and getting the pride out of the way when you need help is it's, there's two sides to that coin. It's definitely a, you know, it can be different for different people. Yeah. I think, so I'm thinking about what you just said is I, I always think about like, I want people to think of me like that person, but inside I'm really not. You yeah. Know, I'm it's like, an insecurity want, thing. Yeah. I want people to think that I've got it all together and that I'm sure. just marching through and, you know, I want to, I want to follow that path of success that, that those people seem to find. But deep down it's, it's just, it's eating me up, you yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> and, well, that's so, why you, you can stay distracted and you're good, yeah. and then you lay down at night and you think about, like, you call yourself out, right? Internally, mm-hmm. you're you're having a war. You're like, I just acted like this because I wanted to cover this up. And, you know, when you do that for years and years, like you and I both did, it sounds like, yeah, you know, it, it's hard to correct, you know, without without some help. So ultimately, you did figure out a path out of flying because you're not flying right now. Right. So t- take us through kind of what the steps were for for you to to kind of transition out of being a you know pilot captain at the time. I think you were a captain, weren't mm-hmm. you? I was. So the 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 reason that I stopped flying wasn't because of my depression. It was, um, um, you know, I I had two young kids. I was like. I was looking at, I have to make a decision. You know, I like flying, but there were some things about it that I was kind of getting burnt out on. And a lot of that was living out of a suitcase, being gone four days out of the week, pretty yeah. much every weekend. Um, looking at my future and thinking, okay, what kind of future do I want to have? And what do I want my kids, and, and, you know, growing up with? And, and that was a really tough thing because, you know, I like, to be social. I like to have that life outside of work. And I found myself after a long time, you know, just realizing that whenever I'm off of work, I come home, I do my laundry, I cut the grass, I take care of stuff around the house. I spend time with the kids as much as possible. And then it's time to get back on the road. And, you know, I couldn't participate in those things that happen weekly. I could never commit to doing something on a certain day every week, being on a softball team or going to a church group or, Whatever the case is, people, things that people do throughout the week, I could never, it's like, I might make it to one a month, maybe. It just depends on what my schedule looks like. And and even months in advance, trying to plan things, you know, are you going to make it to so-and-so's birthday party? I have no idea. My schedule for two months doesn't come out until next month, you know? Right, right. So that that side of it is what, it was really taking a toll on me. And so I decided that, you know, I, I like I told Rachel, I said, you know, I don't want to take a pay cut because I've worked this hard to get, you know, and built up um, to where I was making pretty good money. And I said, if I could ever get a job where I was home every day and I didn't have to take a pay cut to do it, I'd, I'd probably jump all over it. Well, that opportunity came up by moving into management in the airline while I was home every night. And then that kind of segued into a job 
you know, as I worked with um, FAA inspectors, and I was like, you know, maybe that would be a good route for me to go. That that seems nice right government job. Yeah, nice government job. So I worked towards that, and and that's I've been there since 2015. I've been with the FAA f- since 2015, but. You know, um, not having to hold that medical certificate has allowed me the ability. You know, Rachel, she really once I stopped flying, um, she's she's uh, when I when I went into the FA and left the airline where because I, I still flew a little bit when I was in management. But she said, "Now that you're out of the airline, it's it's time for you." You know, she had a real heart to heart and said, "It's time. It's time for you to address this problem." Yeah, it's and I was really reluctant. You know, I was like, I don't think there is a problem i don't think you know and she's like no I do it well i got this new shiny object yeah. this new job yeah. i'm gonna be good now i yeah. don't have to travel and yeah and all along i mean i never really i you know like i said i was in denial i didn't yeah. i didn't yeah. see the problem i didn't want to see the problem i didn't think there was a problem yeah um uh but um you know acknowledging it finally it was a that was the first that was the first time I had to really get out of my comfort zone and go to the doctor and say, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I think I'm dealing with some of this stuff." I didn't even know how to say it, you know, right, like right. I, I, depression. Maybe it's just anxiety. I don't know, you know, like yeah. still trying to kind of dance around the depression thing. Like I yeah. don't think it's depression. I think it's just anxiety. I know it's. I think it, doctors <laughs> probably crack up when people do that because it's like you're you're going to a doctor and you're telling them what you have, yeah, <laughs> and you don't, yeah. you know, you can't even spit it out, but. Um, so then, you know, you're working at the FAA mm-hmm. and you're, you're in, your job is to what you, don't you work on policy and things like that? Yeah. So, yeah. so you're working with the team of people, you're putting together document, you're documenting things and putting together policy for, mm-hmm. for the FAA over the last seven years, since you've been doing that, what, um, how has your struggle with depression changed? Is it has it become more common because you aren't out on the road and doing things? How has your life changed since you started that position? Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think it has. Um, uh, I think that I've had to, it's been something I've had to deal with more. Um, the type of work is a little different. So there was some different stresses that, you know, um, that come and go. Sometimes it's more stressful than others, but um, but then also, you know, in the back of my mind, knowing that, you know, this dream I had of flying is, it, it may, you know, be bygone because, uh, you know, to, to get, to go back to it, um, you know, it'd be a lot, it'd be a process. Sure. Um, but, you know, some, I read a lot of, you know, I've, I've been curious about that. So I've read a lot of articles from other pilots have wrote articles about them dealing with depression and, and trying to get back to it. And, you know, the big thing is, is that you've got to truly take care of that problem. You yeah. know, that, that's the big thing is, is address that issue and then, and then start looking at how you can get back into flying if that's what you want to do. So, and so that's what, I don't know if I really want to get back into flying. I mean, I, I like being home. I mean, I work from home now, so that's it's going to be hard to leave that. But sure. But I mean, I've really taken that to heart. Is I've got to just address this issue. I got to do it for me, yeah. Not for any other outside reason, just because I want to be there, um, be better for for my family. So and myself. Yeah. So. So um, um, in your with your story, how how has your problem with depression and anxiety? How does that affect your relationship with your wife and your family? Uh, it's been a real struggle. Um, yeah, there's been uh, 
for a long, long time. I mean, it's Rachel is a saint because she's still there. <laughs> um, you know, I think a lot of people would have left a long time ago um, because it's very difficult. I know it's difficult on her, and there's and there's a lot of shame and guilt with making it difficult on her. You know, yeah. I, 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 you know that that kind of feeds into the depression when you know that your family is suffering because of what you're going through, and so that's um, you know that adds to you know, that the depression kind of feeds on itself in that way is like, I'm, you know, you have this depression, it's taking its toll on your family. It's making you more depressed because, uh, cause you know, the impact it's having on them. But I mean, she has been literally, I mean, she's been like a saint. I mean, she's, yeah, she's stuck it out. She's, it hasn't been easier on her. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I know that there's been times where she's wanted to give up. Um, but she didn't. And, um, so Yeah. Yeah. She's still there. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's amazing how, you know, again, you're you're not meaning to hurt anybody, but when you're in that struggle, it's hard not to, right? Because yeah. you're you're so self-absorbed with your own issue, whether it's the addiction thing or mental health, and that that's all you can think about. And I know me when I was at my worst, we would have plans to do things and those plans would go out the window because dad wasn't doing good, right? And I, but I would do it in a way that was manip- manipulative. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would figure out a way to convince everyone around me that we should do this instead of that because that was suited better to me in my current state. <laughs> you know, yeah. if, I, if I didn't feel like going out and about for a fun day at an amusement park, I would convince them to let's stay home and do a barbecue and this or that just so dad doesn't have to think about anything and I can just sit here like a bump on a log. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. And <laughs> I did a lot of the what, same things. <laughs> yeah, and that's what made me feel horrible, right? It made yeah. me feel you, – you you instantly get a little relief because I think you're like, oh, gosh, I, I can just relax and take a breath and mm-hmm. because you feel like you've been going nonstop because you're – you're battling against yourself, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's the addiction thing or the mental health. I think for me, they were all intertwined and one didn't help the other. Right. And so you get your way, you put all this effort in, you get your way, and then you cause a fight with your wife usually. And then your kids are upset because they don't get to do what they thought they were going to do. So then after all that effort and work, then you're sitting there at home <laughs> After winning the battle, and you feel horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's nothing worse. And I just, man, it's been. It feels like it's been a long time since I've had to deal with that. But it's taken a lot of a lot of hard work, and uh, you know, I hope you'll get there someday. So, um, so you know, I know we've talked offline about trying different medications and things mm-hmm. like that. You know, to say that you've gotten over the hump would be a lie, right now, right? You're still in yeah. it. Yeah, I'm still in um, it. And, you know, part of mental health awareness is suicide awareness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I know that's a touchy subject, but I know we kind of talked about earlier this year, you were real You were real close. You were having some real bad thoughts. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're comfortable with, with kind of going into that a little bit, sure. I think that could really help some people. Yeah, so um, there was a lot going on earlier this year. Um, I was changing up some medication, which which was, um, can be kind of a, a dicey, uh, adventure. Um, you don't know how you're going to react and, and 
So this this medication that I was on, looking back on it, I mean, it had a lot of side effects that I wasn't uh, prepared for. Uh, rage was a big one. I wasn't prepared for that one. Um, I wasn't a person that's really dealt with rage a lot, but I mean, I was full on. I sometimes felt like completely out of control of my emotions. I mean, I would just fly off the handle, um, which led to, you know, my family really, you know, really suffering. Um, you know, my wife, my kids, I mean, both, I mean, I remember this, so one particular day in January, it was a, it was a Monday and, um, my wife took, the kids to school on her way to work. And I remember just the days leading up to that have been horrible. You know, I was a monster that was just yelling at the kids and my wife and I fighting. Um, and I just felt, you know, it was over, you know, like I was just, I looked at the look in their eyes. They were, the kids looked scared. They look like something's wrong, something we don't know what's happening. Um, you know, and, and the look in my wife's eyes, like, she's just totally done. She's just, she's just, you know, you, she had that look like, I don't know if she's, you know, I don't know if she's coming home, you know, like that kind of thing. And I remember I was home and they left and I was thinking, you know, I just, I can't stand that look. I can't stand the way they're looking at me and these feelings of shame and guilt and, you know, knowing the depression and just, just starting to get more and more hopeless. Like this is over. I don't think this is recoverable. You know, I'm going to lose, you know, um, if, if we get divorced, I'm going to lose my kids. I'm going to put them through that. going to lose the house. Going to probably have to declare bankruptcy. Who knows? You know, I was telling myself, I mean, it was a, yeah, it was a doomsday go. scenario, yep. you know? And, um, you know, I really considered, I thought, you know, um, Maybe, maybe I'll hang myself today is mm-hmm. what I thought. And, um, I really sat there for a long time kind of thinking about it and playing that scenario out in my head. Like, where would I do it? What would I use? Um, mm. but the thing that really kept me was from honestly, I mean, in that moment, the only thing I kept thinking of was like, well, I, my, my wife's at work, the kids will get home before she does and we can't let them find me. So I was really thinking about like how am I going to go about this where the kids aren't going to walk in and find their dad hanging there, you know? Because I was like I can't do that to them. Um, but then something, you know, I thought, well, I didn't know what to do. You know, I was kind of at my, I was, I was at my low point. I didn't know what to do next, you know. And so I picked up the phone. I called a friend, and I and I didn't tell him I was thinking about killing myself. What I told him was. You know, I'm, I think my marriage is over. Um, my kids, I've been, I'm a horrible father. You know, I deserve whatever I have coming to me. You know, if she leaves me, lose the kids, whatever, I deserve it. You know, and, and so what I wasn't realizing is that that day, all of my thoughts, I had, I had gotten myself into a place where the only thoughts that I have were rational thoughts. Right. I had no rational thoughts. Uh, that I could see. I, I mean, I had nothing rational going on in my head. And talking to that friend, he started pointing out things like, you know, hey, you know, you're under attack. You know, the enemy's attacking you. You know, um, you know, you know what you're going through is is temporary. You're working on it. You know, because he knows about my sure my. You know, he's like, as I told him, you know, about the rage. He's like, you you just need to. 
you need to get the medication thing figured out. And at that point I wasn't seeing a counselor. I wasn't, I wasn't really doing anything other than just trying to take some medication. You know, I really wasn't trying to do anything else. I was just, and I was really taking the medication because my wife wanted me to take the medication. So I wasn't even at that point, wasn't getting help for the sake of me getting help. So, but you know, he's like, you know, look, it's, it's going to be okay. You know, you guys will get through this. And of course, all this time, he doesn't know that I'm thinking about killing myself, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I told him later, I actually told him, um, told a bunch of guys later what had happened, shared that story. And, um, so it was, it was uh, a big pivotal moment for me. Um, the fact that, one thing I learned from that is that um, if you're having those thoughts or having those feelings, um, you know, you. what I realized is, is that those are irrational thoughts. If you're thinking about that, it's not a rational thought. So you need to find somebody who can give you a rational thought because, and, and I didn't know what he was going to say. I didn't know. I just thought I, I need to call him. I need to do something. I can't just, I don't know what to do. You know, it's kind of like the, I'm just reaching out, but I don't know what I'm reaching for kind of thing. And, and he gave me a really good you know, word. And, um, so I, I said, okay, you know, and, and so, and then from then on, you know, he kind of helped me like surrounded me with guys that cared for me and talked to me. And so what I learned from that is that, you know, that was a big pivotal moment for me that I need to be open. I need to be vulnerable. I need to share what I'm thinking um, whatever it is and just get it out there in the open. Because when you leave that stuff in the dark, when it's, when it gets, it gets, it just grows, yeah. you know, that yeah, stuff grows does. in the dark. And, um, when you get it out there in the open and it starts to get worked on, it, it doesn't, it doesn't survive very well. So it starts to get addressed. It starts to get fixed and, or you can accept it. Right. Yeah. 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 Or you, yeah. Or you can, you know, I mean, but things, but when you bottle it up and it, it just feeds on itself, yeah, you know, it just sits there and festers and grows and then, you know, um, can lead to some bad outcomes, but yeah. Well, I'm yeah. glad you got through that, man. And I know, yeah. uh, you know, we've been talking this past few months a lot and I know you're working trying some different stuff and, and, uh, mm-hmm. I hope you can continue to, uh stay vulnerable and open about things and i hope this helps you you know i mean yeah. i uh i haven't done a show in a long time because i it's hard to to ask people to come on here and and talk about hard stuff right and it was weighing on me to to do that i don't like doing that and uh you know i've had people come on here and talk about things and then regret it and mm-hmm. uh like we were talking i'm hard on myself so i i kind of you know I just hadn't had much uh, focus on this podcast. I hadn't been thinking about doing another episode because nothing had come to me. And then, sure enough, just a few days ago, you know, your your sweet wife offered you up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I'm glad though because I yeah. feel like your story is going to help somebody. Yeah, it's fun for me to do this with you. Yeah. I love doing it. Uh, it helps me to talk about my own stuff and to be vulnerable. And that's what this thing started as. So, um, so one thing I wanted to kind of, um, really emphasize through, through what I've learned lately is that a couple of things. One is that 
you know, identifying and, and being vulnerable to, and being self-aware and identifying that you have a problem is definitely the first step and, and being accepting that, Hey, there's something going on here. Sure. And then taking that next step and, and being and humbling yourself to ask for help. That's another hard step. So th- right. these are difficult steps and you, you kind of take them a step at a time. But one thing I've really learned, uh, you know, in the, in the asking for help, has really been important, you know, asking friends. Um, but I'm seeking, you know, I go to a counselor, I'm working on, um, getting with a psychiatrist, get the medication thing figured out. But what I really understand about this depression, um, you know, for decades, literally I haven't dealt with it and now I'm trying to catch up. And every, every day that you don't acknowledge it is a day that you're moving the opposite direction of recovery from it. You know, yeah. you're, you're moving away from recovery every day that you choose not to accept it or identify it. Um, as soon as you do that, then you can start working on it. And then th- the other thing is that um, it, for me is there's not like a there's not like a silver bullet. You know, there's not like this one thing that's going to fix what I've got going on. It really takes it's multiple things. You know, we're physical and spiritual and and mental. You know, are all three things. We're all made up of that, and so. The physical, yeah, I got to get on the right medication. That's that's part of it. I've got to get that going. The the mental, I have a lot of other issues. And, and I was the kind of guy that was like, whenever my wife told me I needed to go to a counselor and she really pushed me to go to a counselor, I was like, what are they going to do for me? That was my first instinct. What, what are they going to do for me? What are they going to tell me that's going to help me? Because I just don't see it. Like right. they, they don't know what's going on in this head. You know, it's, it's <laughs> good luck, yeah. you know, but I was amazed. I mean, it was real practical. It was, you know, getting with the counselor and start working on some of these negative thinking habits, um, identifying that I didn't even know I had these, um, these other issues, um, you know, um, codependency, for example, had no idea what it was. And then, you know, finding out that that's an issue for me, and I beat myself up over what people think about me and people pleasing and yeah, all these or things. the way someone reacts to something yeah. that you did, yeah, and it's not the way you thought they should react to it, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, and then finally, you know, like a lot of you know, like your recovery programs, um, leaning on that higher power. You know, mine's yeah. the God of the Bible, and um, that's you know, having that spiritual aspect of it is huge. So it, it I don't think I, what I would couple things it's a progress it's a process i mean and it, and there's steps but it's also not any one of those things i think that for a long time i was trying to say okay well if i could just get on medication i'll be right because you want if that could, yeah yeah i mean they talk about in a lot of programs of recovery you know the reason that we are here is because you you're you want the easier softer way mm-hmm. right and i was the king of the easier softer <laughs> way Always in life, you know. One, if I could, if I could take this and it made me feel better, that fixed everything. That was good. Yeah. I don't have to do these four things if I can just do this one magic pill, <laughs> and it fixes everything, you know. And if you look at your your whole life, I mean, I know for me, I've done that in in every aspect of my life: relationships, work, whatever. I would always find that shortcut to kind of just. Well, there's no point. I'm going to bypass all this hard work and just cut through here because I think mm-hmm. I can, I can figure that out. You know, it'll it'll work. And then, man, I had to learn the hard way. It's just not. That's not how I. I can't do things like that. And you know, um, 
the big thing for me and anybody that I ever talk to that's needing to get some help, but they don't want to do that hard work Mm -hmm. is you just have to look at it. Like, look what you've been doing for the last however many years, it's not working. Mm -hmm. It is not getting better on your own. So if you don't ask for help, expect it to keep getting worse. And then you may not be here. Right. And nobody wants that. So, Hopefully people can, uh, you know, hear that and grab onto it and, and realize that it's okay. You know, yeah. it's, it's all right. You just got to ask for that help and then and do what's suggested. Yeah. And I think it goes back to in any time that you need recovery, it's that stigma of whatever it is that you're going through that it's hard to ask for help um, for Sometimes it's pride, but sometimes it's also like we talked about, you know, it's embarrassing. Sure. To, to admit that you're dealing with something, whether it's addiction or depression or whatever it is, it's something that you're dealing with and, and you think that people are going to judge you or right. whatever. And it makes it harder to to get the help that you need. And at some point you realize it's just okay. It's okay to not be okay. Right, right. <laughs> That's the truth, man. Well, buddy, I appreciate yeah. you coming on and sharing your story. I loved it. Uh, I love you, and I'm always here if you need to talk. All right. I love you, buddy. All right, man. See you. Hey.